This morning I want to speak to us about taste and see. That's the title of the message, taste and see. A few nights ago, I woke up pretty jarred. I was woken up by the Lord. And uh, the scripture that came to my mind, that's what woke me up, was Psalm 34, Psalm 34 verse 8. And it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And it was very simply this question that the Lord put in my heart. And uh, it's a strange way to say it, but that's how it came to me. Uh, what are my people full of in this season? In the season where, a very uncertain season, what are my people feeding on? Taste and see that the Lord is good. So whatever we feed on, obviously, is what we fill ourselves up with. And, um, and it's been, there's many aspects, there's many attributes to God, there's many facets to the kingdom, there's many aspects to life. But the, the thing I feed on is His goodness. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And a little bit of practical, how do we, how do, we do that? And um, it doesn't mean I ignore difficulty. Uh, it doesn't mean I ignore difficulty or live in denial that they are not difficult seasons, but I, I don't choose to live there. I, it's interesting to me. I've seen many people seem extremely focused on bad news. They seem to, if there was positive and negative available, they seem to speak the negative. If, if there was good and bad news, they seem to speak the bad news. Well, you know, I, you know, I heard of so-and-so, and, and, you know, you heard this happen. Well, that's just life, and life is hard. And I want to encourage us where we focus, what we say, is very, very important. Uh, about two years ago, the Lord took me through a little bit of a lesson. It sounds so small, but it impacted me greatly. He started to bring attention to my, the first words that I spoke when I woke up. And I realized that most of them were complaining. It was, my neck is sore, my back is sore, oh, I'm so tired. Just even to myself, I would wake up and, oh, you know, I didn't. And I realized that's very important. It's very important. It sets the focus of my day. And I started to take that territory back. Because it's not, it's not to, to focus on God's goodness, to feed on God's goodness. To, it's not to ignore it's not to ignore difficulty. It's not to live in denial. People have actually said to me, but if you do that, don't you cut out people either in the church or in your heart or in your life or in your family? Don't you cut out people who are going through a difficult time or difficult season? Not at all. The Bible says in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But it's not my food. It's not what I feed on. Because there will be 10 other circumstances like theirs coming around the corner. And I find if I start to feed off of those negative things, doesn't mean I ignore them, but if I start to feed off them, I don't position myself to carry the kingdom in such a way that I can actually be a solution to what they're facing. But if I feed off his goodness, if I feed off what he has done or what he is doing, when I start to ask the question, why? And I get asked that question a lot. Why do bad things happen to good people? And for a season, if I look back in my life, I actually did this about six months ago, I looked back and there's been seasons where if I, I didn't want to pray for one more person, I'm just being very honest with you, largely because I didn't want to see the disappointment in their face or in my heart when something didn't happen. And there's been seasons where I just didn't want to pray for anybody else anymore because I pray for a lot of people. But, I mean, praying for laying out of hands. And there's been seasons where 
I've seen such a high percentage of people healed, saved. We've seen skin diseases come off, heart conditions, financial breakthrough, just any forms, any form of oppression really that's broken, either instantly or over time. And what I learned when I looked back is that God doesn't change from one of those seasons to the other. And so I started to examine what changed. And I saw mostly it was my focus, what I chose to feed on, what I chose to focus on. That doesn't mean I ignore realities, but I don't feed off of them. That's extremely important. It's extremely, extremely important. So, um, Hebrews 12 says it this way, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That word looking means this, to turn I like to actually the NIV, I think it is. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And it means this, to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on one thing. That's what it means. It means to see, to see with your mind. It means to behold or to stare. Why? Whatever I focus on is what I'm filled with. I'll say that again. Whatever I focus on is what I become full of is what I'm filled with. So, if you could, please turn to John chapter 10. I will do the same. And please get your Bibles so that you can follow along. And um, it is helpful if you can see. I, we, we're trying to have the verses come up below. If they don't, it's not their fault. It's my fault. I didn't get them what they needed in time. But please turn to John 10. Uh, and before we do, I just want to make a few comments. Um, the Lord desires relationship with us more than we could possibly fathom. It's not because He has need of us. Please understand. It's not because He needs us. It's because of His great love. He wanted to raise a company of people to create a family. He's looking for family. And Jesus never removed the issue of sin so that we can just have access to heaven. He never removed. He never came down lived a sinless life. So that he could give us grace, which we receive his righteousness, even though we didn't live like that. We receive his merits. You know, we receive something we don't deserve. Defeated death, defeated the grave, rose again, gave us everything that we have, gave us salvation. He didn't do that so that we could, you know, have fire insurance, access to heaven one day. He did that so that the blockage between God and man could be removed and we would have access to God. Personal relationship. Personal access. In fact, we've been called into relationship. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 1 quickly. It says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by, by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means when when he's coming, he will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in the Greek, that doesn't mean you were called into the fellowship of his Son, meaning having a relationship just with Jesus. It actually means, in the, in the Greek, it means you were called to have the fellowship with the Son and the Father. The fellowship that the Son has with the Father, you've been called into that fellowship. 
So we've been called into relationship. We've been called into personal fellowship. It's why in John 17, 3, Jesus defines eternal life. People think of eternal life as living forever. He defines eternal life, and I've said this so many times, if you're not from our church, but if you're watching today, if you are from Free Life, you've heard this a thousand times. He defines uh, eternal life as knowing God. John 17:3. This is eternal life, Jesus speaking, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have said. So, it is my, I had someone ask me a little while ago, what is your greatest desire when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to the things of God? I, without doubt, it's friendship with God. You see people in Scripture, they were called friends of God, and to have a friendship with God, to walk with the Lord, you know, I'm going to die one day, and when people look back, I would love it to just be said, that man knew the Lord. That man really knew the Lord, and he walked with the Lord. Um, yeah, there's nothing more than that. And I, I believe that friendship begins when obedience has beauty attached to it, when obedience has joy attached to it, because it shows that you trust Him. I don't need to understand. I trust you. I trust you. I don't need to see. I trust you. I don't need to understand everything. I trust you. And when obedience actually has beauty attached to it, and joy and excitement, even when it's difficult, that's friendship. That's what it's like to be friends with a king. So, God, we're going to get to this in a moment. It's just all these things that the Spirit of God is bringing up in my heart. God desperately desires to partner with people. And, and we forget that very quickly. We go to church, we sing, we go home. Well, now we don't even have to go. You are the church, you know that. You don't. It's not a building. But we get into a rhythm and a routine, and we forget the price that was paid so there could be a co-laboring between God and man. And the first time you see this actually is in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, before the fall of man, when Adam, it says Adam walked with God. It says Noah walked with God. It says Enoch walked with God. Adam walked with God in the garden. And it says that, that God made the animals, but he brought them to Adam for Adam to name them. And to be in a co-laboring relationship, a partnership with God, is a phenomenal thing. El Shaddai, Yahweh, El Gibor, El Elyon. I mean, God Almighty wants to partner with us, with you. And to be in that partnering relationship, he gives Adam the distinct ability, the distinct privilege to speak identity over other parts of his creation. And God is still doing that today. For those who walk with the Lord, he will use them to speak identity over people and into people. Because he desires partnership. He desires relationship. He desires to walk with us. So, there is much, I wrote this, there's always much to be done in the kingdom, but the reward in the kingdom is never the fulfillment of task, nor the destination. I'll say that again. There's always much to be done in the kingdom, but the reward in the kingdom is never the fulfillment of task, nor the destination. Why? Because that's the wage mindset. That's a slave mindset. That's not a son mindset. The, ro- the reward in the kingdom is the relationship that you build along the way. That's the reward. It's always him. Picture, if you will, two teenagers. We've always seen when teenagers become infatuated with one another, obsessed with one another. We've all experienced that. We've seen that. 
if there were two teenagers and they were just so in love and I imagine this young girl coming up to this boy if you have teenagers you'll know what I'm talking about and they, she comes up she says listen I'm going to be taking a trip just by myself and I was wondering if you wanted to come with me he goes yes she says well you haven't you haven't really even heard where I'm going yet and he says it's fine I don't why because all he wants to do is be with her he doesn't care if it's a boat a plane a car walking running I get to be with her by myself that's all I want that is that phase of life and it, it's like that with the Lord we get destination focused we get task orientated the reward in the kingdom is the relationship you build along the way it's him that's his desire that's the reward so we were in John 10 well we haven't started reading it so let's read I'm going to read John 10 verse 1 to 16 and maybe shed some light on what it means to taste and see most assuredly I say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door actually let me give you a brief uh, uh, context here John 10 starts in a weird place it's kind of mid-conversation and um, in John chapter 9 he heals a man that was born blind that used to beg at the gate and there's a whole big discussion about it it's a it's a fascinating chapter I love the chapter um, but in John chapter 9 Jesus deals with this man born blind they cast him out of the synagogue which was to cut him off from money and access and family and community and worship it was a severe severe punishment because they couldn't understand unfortunately that's what religion often does but they cut him off Jesus goes he recognizes Jesus he worships Jesus then the Pharisees come to him and they say well are you are you saying we're blind too because they couldn't see who he was and so John 10 is actually Jesus speaking to Pharisees and this is what he starts with as surely I say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way the same as a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the of the sheep to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name that's you and leads them out and when he brings out his own sheep he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice big verse the sheep follow him for they know his voice yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things of which he spoke to them then Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you I am the door of the sheep all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy if you've ever heard of the word uh, kleptomaniac it's a thief who cannot help himself he has to steal that it comes from Satan actually the word thief there's kleptus it's where we get kleptomaniac the thief cannot help himself he can only kill steal destroy I have come that they may but I have come he says that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly I am the Good Shepherd the Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep but a hireling he who is not a shepherd 
is one who does not own the sheep. So they would hire shepherds. They, they weren't owners of the sheep. It's quite obvious in the name. But a hireling is he who does, he is not the shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have also, which are not of this fault. Now he's talking about Gentiles. But New Testament, New Covenant salvation. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, when I read this three years ago, if you're from Free Life Church, you've heard me preach this before, so I'm going to preach it again. It's just something that the Lord put in my heart for this season. I believe I look at this chapter and I see in that section Jesus beginning to outline a new covenant relationship. There was everything was about to change. Everything was about to shift from old covenant to new covenant, from one nation to all nations, from person from a national relationship with God to a personal relationship with God. So everything's about to change. Everything's about to shift. And Jesus begins to outline something here of what that personal relationship actually begins to look like. He says, I am known by my own, what it means to have eternal life, what it means to actually know the Lord. Not through somebody else, not through pastors, prophets, judges, kings, not through that, but actually me, you and me, I will know the Lord. That's what he says, I am known by my own. And so it's interesting, uh, if you could see it almost like a movie, almost like a, like a play, of there's many characters, there's many roles that will come in this new, wonderful new covenant, many different avenues, very different people. And he speaks about the good shepherd. That's one. He speaks about under shepherds. That's elders or pastors or church authority. Their main, pur- their main purpose, point people to Jesus Christ. He speaks about the enemy. That's the devil. He speaks about strangers, the voice of strangers, which could be the enemy or people. He speaks about wolves. It actually means Cruel, greedy, rapacious men. Rapacious means I'm grabbing hold of you to use you so I can get enriched. That's what a wolf is. He speaks about hirelings, which are not shepherds. They're in it for personal gain. They're in it for how much they can get hired for. It's not a real shepherd. That's why whenever there's a cost, they run. Because it's no longer worth my time. It's no longer worth my investment. It's no longer worth... Because I don't actually have a love for the person. I'm in it for what I get out of it. That's a hireling. That's not a real shepherd. And unfortunately, I've seen many of those. So we have all these different characters. We have all these different roles in this New Testament relationship. And it's very interesting because Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, here's this blind beggar, John 9, and he came to recognize who I am. And you are spiritual leaders of my people, and you cannot see who I am. And then he starts to outline this beautiful relationship. And the first thing he mentions as the foundation for this new covenant relationship with all these different avenues, with all these different roles, with all these different characters, the first thing he mentions is his voice. He says it. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. It's his voice. 
Jesus outlines a new relationship. He puts the foundation of it with the ability to hear his voice. Why? Because all of these different characters, the wolves, the hirelings, the influencers, all of them will want to influence you. All of them. You're, getting, you're about to have personal access to God, Jesus said. I'm about to pay a price that will give you peace with God, Romans 5, and access. When you have access, you're going to have everyone striving for your influence, everyone striving to influence you, everyone looking for your attention. And whatever you focus on, that's what you're filled with. So the way he chooses to lead in the New Testament is interestingly with his voice. And he says it's important to know, to be able to discern who's speaking. So if you look at God's voice, number one, you see it's for all his sheep. They all hear his voice. He says, all people will hear my voice. Please hear that. It's for all. My sheep hear my voice. Secondly, you see, it's how he chooses to lead is with his voice. In Ethiopia, we saw where they have, um, they do this practice where they have all these different shepherds, actual shepherds now, of actual sheep. And they had all these shepherds and there was like a heel, kind of like this. And they had a big pen on this side and all the sheep ran into this big pen on this side, all the different flocks together. And at night time, and all the three or four shepherds would go stand on this side so the sheep couldn't see them. And they would open the gate, and the shepherds would begin to call all at once. And the sheep would go from this big kind of mess all together and neatly split up and all go to each one of their own shepherds. Why? Because they don't know the voice of the stranger. And this was a shepherding culture, so he understands that. So the voice of God is for all his sheep. It's how he chooses to lead. And in the garden with God, after the fall of man, after Adam sinned, after they, after they fell, uh, they listened to the stranger's voice. They had partnered with the enemy, unfortunately. When they heard God's voice, they became afraid. They became afraid, and they hid. And I see that, unfortunately, a lot today in the body of Christ. The fruit of listening to the voice of a stranger will, unfortunately, often lead to people hiding and running from God or holding God hostage for things that have nothing to do with Him. You gave me this woman holding God hostage for things that He didn't do. That is the fruit of listening to the stranger's voice. And so I want to encourage us this morning. We, have, we are growing into the ability to discern who has our attention, who has our focus, it's extremely important. As I often say, it's a big deal. Why? Because before the fall of man, before they partnered with the stranger's voice, there was another fall, the fall of Lucifer. And the fall of Lucifer, it's what I call the five I wills. You can go look at it in Isaiah 14. He said this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That's never a good idea to say that, just in case you were wondering. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I will, I will, I will, I will. Motivated by one's own strength. I can do it in my own strength. Motivated by one's own glory. Self-exaltation. Self, self, I will, I will. 
That's the origination of the stranger's voice. And in John 10.5, it says, They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. See, it is the Lord's desire, friends, that we become so well acquainted with him, that we become so in tune with him, that we become so aware of him, that when the enemy comes to us and starts to invade the mind, the heart, whether it's through culture, whether it's through people, whatever it is, we can instantly begin to say, whoa, that's not my shepherd. That's not the voice of my shepherd. That's not the voice of Jesus. That's not the voice of my father. That's a different voice. That's a hireling. That's a wolf. That's a person who has a good intention, but it's actually not what God's saying right now. We can begin to discern like that. Because we've become so familiar with His voice that a stranger's voice is stark to us. That is the New Testament relationship. That is the New Testament relationship. He says, I have come to give life. The life Jesus speaks of comes through His voice. Comes through His voice. His presence comes with His voice. We, we use this phrase a lot, the presence of God. I use it a lot because it is the, the search of my heart is, is the presence of God. It's just, if, if you knew the presence of God, it would be the search of yours too. But the presence of God, and we use that and it becomes like a strange term, even a religious term. If I wanted to be in the presence of my father, it means my father's there, physically, my dad, Ken. It means I'm in the presence of my dad, it means my dad's there. And because he's there, I know his voice. When the presence of God comes, he's there. He's there, it's very, very important. He says, I've come to give life, but the way he chooses to give life is through his voice. And His presence comes into your heart. And His presence comes into your life. And you begin to be able to discern Him. And you begin to be able to hear Him. And now I am known by my own. There's a relationship that is being built. He says, I have come that they may have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. When God speaks, it doesn't come to destroy. It doesn't come to steal. When the enemy speaks, it carries within His voice His nature. And His nature is kleptomaniac. His nature is kleptus. His nature is thief. When the enemy speaks, sometimes it sounds good. Sometimes it's even presented as things we want. And there's nothing wrong with things we want. That's fine. But sometimes it's from the enemy. Sometimes it's a shortcut to some sort of life. Sometimes it's whatever it is, whichever way it comes. If it comes from the enemy, it will destroy, it will kill, and it will steal. He can only do that. When the Lord speaks, he says, I have come, to brave, to, I have come with life. I hold in my hand life. And when he speaks, his voice contains in it the ability to perform what he just said. And his voice comes to encourage. His voice comes to empower. His voice comes to shift and to change hearts. And only God's voice can do that. He's saying, I hold in my hand, son. I hold in my hand, daughter. Jesus came saying this. Life. Not death. Life. And the last time, you partnered with a stranger's voice. It didn't go so well. The last time you partnered with a stranger's voice, it caused the distortion that even when I spoke, you ran and hid. Please don't partner with a stranger's voice anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't like you. I have life. I have a choice in my hand, life. He has death. 
Don't partner with his voice. It's deceptive. It doesn't end well. Look what happened. He's taking them back to the garden. I have life in my hand for you. My sheep will hear my voice. My sheep will hear my voice. And I look around at the body of Christ today, and I see many people holding God hostage because of things that have come to be, things that have happened. And we hold God hostage for things that he was not the author of because we partnered with the stranger's voice thinking it was his. Very important. His voice brings life, liberty, truth, freedom, love. The enemies does not. And the last time I preached this, I said, don't partner with the one who says, I will. That's the enemy. I will do this. I have five times. I will. I will. I will exalt myself. Jesus doesn't say, I will. He says, I am. There's nothing more left for him to do. He just is. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am. He doesn't say, I will. He just says, I am. And friends, if, you, if you're watching today, if you're a pastor and the elder, please hear me. The role of a shepherd, an under-shepherd, the genuine role, the first priority, is to be able to open the door, like he said in verse 2 or 3, they open the door and there stands Jesus. <laughs> and to teach them his voice more than your voice. To get them to recognize his presence more than your presence. To get them to recognize his heart more than your heart. That's what our elders and pastors should do. I open the door. I'm standing behind the door. And there's a sheepy. And there's the king. And they see him. And your life does that. Your life will open the door. Your preaching does that. Your heart does that. Your it opens the door and they see Jesus Christ. Now there are seasons where people latch on to leaders. And for a season that's okay. Because he says, my sheep follow my voice, not my lambs. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Let the lambs follow the sheep for a season. But for them to become sheep, mature, to recognize the king to recognize the true shepherd and when it comes to hearing the voice of God we use that phrase hearing God's voice and I've used it I've preached it I've done courses written manuals on hearing God's voice just on the prophetic even as I do a lot of that but I've come to understand it's a very helpful it's very unhelpful terminology because to hear God's voice people think I can either hear or cannot hear it's better to say translate or to discern because you can hear God's voice. And when I was coming up in, in leadership and just growing with the Lord, I used to have people say, you can hear, you, you can hear God's, you don't think you can, but you already are. And I thought, if one more person says that to me, I'm going to bless them, you know, with the fivefold ministry. But, um, but because it was frustrated, I wanted to hear the Lord. I wanted to hear all the way through the Bible. He communicates with people. Then one day I realized this, when you're born naturally on the earth, when a little baby is born, and everything's okay, and he's a healthy baby, when a little baby is born, he can hear you. From birth, he can hear you, but he doesn't understand. He can hear sounds, but then he grows into tones, 
and inflections and then words and then communication and then it goes beyond words to body language to looks to communication grows and grows and grows and grows but you can hear the moment you're born the moment you're born you can hear but you don't understand in the spirit it's the same the moment you become a child of God you can hear his voice but you don't always understand so you become filled with what you focus on that's why he gave us this it teaches us to understand it teaches us to understand and so the enemy says I have to snatch their attention I have to take their focus I have to snatch their attention I have to fill them with every other thing than God but the Bible says be filled with the Spirit be filled with the Spirit it's actually a command be filled with the Spirit and unfortunately in the religious world or in our jargon in church we make that sound like an event or, or, or a title oh, I'm a spiritful believer I'm not a spiritual believer friends we've got to get rid of that way of thinking it's not a title it's not a type it's a state I am filled with God's Spirit it's a state a person can have a baptism in the Spirit experience and never spend any time with God and five years later they say I'm a spirit filled no it's a state I am filled by what I focus on and so the enemy knows this so he says I must have their attention I must have their focus I must grab their affections of their heart so where does the enemy come to invade the territory of my heart and even of my city I'm going to tell you a little quick history story and then we'll be done with the Bahamian Islands the Bahamian Islands, the islands of the Bahamas, used to be, anyway, the, 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 the Spaniards ruled it first. And the British wanted it. So the British said, well, we're going to invade. And there was a whole process of wars. And then they, but it ended up with, fr the, the France took Haiti. Cuba was owned, was maintained, they stayed with, the, with, with Spanish. And the Bahamas was taken by the British. What does it help us to see? Well, go to each one of those islands today. And what language do you speak? What culture do you see? Whoever controls the domain, that's where we get our word kingdom from, the king's domain. Whoever controls the domain affects the language, the speech, the culture, the mindset, the clothing. And so they were asked, how did the wars go? And if you can go read the journals of it, they all said the same thing. They said when they came to the Bahamas, they came to the Bahamas. They said, if you had the harbor, because this was in the days where all the wars were on the seas. They said, if you had the harbor, you had the you had the island. If you had the harbor, you had the city. They actually called the harbor the gate to the city. They said, if you can win the gate, if you can win the gate, you'll own the city. So, the focus place of invasion was the gate of the city. If you control the gate, you control the island. Our harbor, our gate, is our eyes and our ears. And I would say in our time. Our eyes and our ears. You know that Jesus' most repeated phrase in all of his teachings, by far, was, for those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Be careful what you hear, he said. 
the most, if you take all the teachings of Jesus and you, add, you take all his words, the number one word that he used far more than all others was the word here. Here. So today, I simply, very simply, I'm asking us to understand something. There are things competing for your affection. Have you ever thought to ask yourself why? Why are there systems, campaigns, processes, strategies, companies, demonic principalities, all set up for one thing, your focus, your attention, your affection? Why? What makes you so important that all of that money, all of that time, all of that effort is sent and, and is invading the gates of your life constantly? Why? Because you, if you are a child of God, you are the only species. The Bible says all things have become new. I'm a new creation. That word creation, I'm a new species. You're the only being, species on the earth, that have the authority of God attached to them. And the enemy knows if they realize the authority they have, they are able to enforce his will through the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. So he has to come for your focus. He has to come for your attention. He has to come for your time. He has to fill your eyes. He has to fill your ears. Because he's afraid of you. He's afraid of you. So he says, if I can grab their attention, whatever they focus on, they'll be filled with. Whatever they focus on, they'll be filled with. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't feed yourself on the negative. doesn't mean you ignore it. But you're filled with what you focus on. I want to encourage you. His voice is in your heart, is in your ears is in your eyes. Fill yourself with this. Fill yourself with family. Fill yourself with worship. Fill. Focus. Fill it up. And in this season where things are upside down, what you focus on is what you're full of. And what you're full of comes out when there's pressure. So I want to encourage you. God loves you. More than you could possibly fathom. He desired relationship with you. Not because he has need of you. But because he loves you. And he wants to partner with you. Fill your life with his voice. Fill your ears with his voice. Fill your eyes with the things of the kingdom. Let the gates of your life be wrapped around Jesus. Don't let the enemy snatch the affection of your heart. He does that because he's afraid of you. Bless you. I love you. He loves you. I'm actually going to pray for us. If you're in a possible state of the kids on screaming and crying in the background and, 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 you know, whatever. If you could close your eyes just for a moment. Father, I thank you for your peace. And I thank you that you love us 
and that you are with us, Lord. And how you desire to partner with your people, your sons and daughters. So I pray in the name of Jesus for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to begin to settle on people's hearts and their homes right now. That you would snatch again the affections of the hearts of your people. So that God can arise within us. Let, may God arise so that the enemies will be scattered. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let the dominion begin to control the focus again. And affect the speech and the culture. Let your presence be the focus of our affection, Lord. How to be friends with you, Lord. Nothing like that. There's nothing like that on the earth. Father, we bless you. We love you. I pray blessing to the mothers today. To all the mothers. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their sacrifices.